turn to Hosea chapter 11. Hosea chapter 11. As we are nearing the end, because we just have a few more chapters to go, actually, after this, three more chapters. But as we're nearing the end of this, this great, great prophecy of Hosea, we are seeing more and more now of the heart of God toward his children of Israel. Not from the standpoint of judging them only, because we saw a lot of that happen, because he, he, you know, he, he wasn't being easy with them. In fact, he was saying, you know, he, he'd been with them, pro- provided for them, gave them everything they needed, and yet they forsook him. And he did everything to bring them back to him, and they were rejecting that. And so he has this prophet go and marry a prostitute to show Israel what they were doing. But in the end, even Hosea himself, now having this family, children whose names said, you're not my people, They're not my loved ones to say that to Israel. Yet as we'll see tonight, going back in review for a little bit, he still wants that from his people. He still wants to call them that. He wants to call them his people. He wants to call them himself their God. So we begin verse 8 where we left off last time with these questions that God himself asks. How shall I give thee up, Ephraim? How shall I deliver thee, Israel? How shall I make thee as Adma? How shall I set thee as Zeboim? My heart is turned within me. My repentings are kindled together. I will not execute the fierceness of mine anger. I will not return to destroy Ephraim, for I am God and not man, the Holy One in the midst of thee, and I will not enter into the city. They shall walk after the Lord. He shall roar like a lion when he shall roar. Then the children shall tremble from the west. They shall tremble as a bird out of Egypt. And as a dove out of the land of Assyria. And I will place them in their houses, saith the Lord. Ephraim compasseth me about with lies, and the house of Israel with deceit. But Judah yet ruleth with God, and is faithful with the saints. So as we entered into our study of chapter 11, we were focused on the sub-themes of love and remembrance. God's love for his people and the people's remembrance of God's mercies. But the focus on God's love was not on his overlooking their sin, but but in fact his disciplining Israel lovingly as a father disciplines his children. The lesson for us in, in that is that God's love will 
will discipline any true believer who strays from him. I think all of us as believers in Jesus Christ have experienced that in some way at some time in our life where we took our eyes off of the Lord, where we, where we, we, we tried to navigate ourselves through the streams of this life and realize that we were becoming very selfish or self-focused. The Lord has revealed so much of his patience toward us. Doesn't he do that every day? I mean, it, 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 I would like to say it's incredible. You know, it's an incredible thing. You know, God shows us patience every day. But, but to a certain extent, that's a good word. It's incredible. In other words, it's unbelievable. We run out of patience, don't we, with people. We run out of patience with our family sometimes. But God never runs out of patience for us. His love will be a part of all of that discipline of bringing us back to him. And as much as the children of Israel were to remember everything that the Lord had done for them mercifully, consider the fact that they remained bent to backsliding from their God. Verse 7. Those very words are there. My people are bent to backsliding from me. <clears throat> and so in effect, they were refusing, refusing to repent. And in so doing, they forced God's hand to strike out against them. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't think it's really healthy to try to force God's hand against us. Some of us might use the term crazy. That's a crazy thing. I'd like to just use the word insane <laughs> because that's really what it is. How can we be people that would just say to the Lord, I'm going to do what I want to do. No matter what I've, what I've declared, no matter what I proclaim, when I gather with the church, you know, because some people are that way. I hope and pray we're not. We should never get to a point where we force God's hand to strike out against us, to bring that discipline. What God has been trying to do is grow us to a place where we become so mature that we don't want to go to those dark places or we don't want to go to those evil or wicked places in our life. And praise the Lord that when we are when we are mature as the Lord desires us to be, we not only are able to overcome the temptations of the enemy, but, but also think about this. We give testimony of the power of God and the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives because it truly says it isn't our, by our power or might, but it's by his spirit that we're able to do those things. And that also is what he provided for the children of Israel if they would take it, if they would just accept it and believe it and live it. Remember that the expression of God's love for Israel didn't begin here in chapter 11. <clears throat> Go back to chapter 1 for a minute. Let's, let's review some of these areas. Let's review some of these things. 
Hosea 1 verses 10 and 11 says, Yet the number of the children of Israel shall be as the sand of the sea, which cannot be measured nor numbered, and it shall come to pass that in the place where it was said unto them, You are not my people, there it shall be said unto them, You are the sons of the living God. So already early on, the Lord is saying, There's going to be a change in them. And then he goes on to say, Then shall the children of Judah and the children of Israel be gathered together. They'll become one again and appoint themselves one head and they shall come up out of the land for great shall be the day of Israel. Then you go on to verse 1 of chapter 2. Say ye unto your brethren, Ami, and to your sisters, Ruamah. Say ye to, unto your brethren, You're my people. And to your sisters, you're our loved ones. Verse 14 of chapter 2, Therefore, behold, I will allure her, bring her into the wilderness, and speak comfortably unto her. And I will give her her vineyards from thence in the valley of Akor for a door of hope, and she shall sing there as in the days of her youth, as, and as, as in the day when she came up out of the land of Egypt. And it shall be at that day, saith the Lord, that thou shalt call me Ishi. my husband and shall call me no more Baali my master and then you can read from here through chapter 3 all the way through chapter 3 verse 5 how Israel shall return and seek the Lord but let's move on to Hosea 5 verse 15 again God says I will go and return to my place till they acknowledge their offense and seek my face in their affliction they will seek me early. Verses 1 through 3 of chapter 6. Come and let us return unto the Lord, for he has torn and he will heal us. And he has smitten and he will bind us up. After two days will he revive us, and the third day he will raise us up. And we shall live in his sight. Then shall we know if we follow on to know the Lord. His going forth is prepared as the morning, and he shall come unto us as the rain, as the latter and former rain unto the earth. And what they're saying here is that God loves them to restore them. God loves them enough to restore them back to the place where they were meant to be, with him. And so now with all of that in mind, let's pay close attention to what God doesn't want to do. Let's pay attention to what God doesn't want to do. Look at verses 8 and 9 now of our text in Hosea 11. Going back to chapter 11, verses 8 and 9. Notice what God doesn't want to do. How shall I give thee up, Ephraim? First thing we see is that he doesn't want to give them up. <laughs> and that's a good thing, isn't it? It's always a good thing when God doesn't want to give us up. How shall I give thee up, Ephraim? How shall I deliver thee, Israel? How shall I make thee as Adma? How shall I set thee as a Boam? We'll, we'll talk about that in just a moment. But those are things he doesn't want to do. He doesn't want to make them like Adma and Zeboam. You know, I love God, God's order is always great. He goes from A to Z, doesn't he? All the time. It almost seems like it anyway. But then he says, my heart is turned within me. My repentings are kindled together. And it just, it just shows his heart the character of his heart toward his people 
I will not, he says. I will not. By the way, if you look at verses 8 and 9, I mean, this, this is God's negative, negative confession. We always hear that term, you know, we shouldn't have a negative confession. Well, God does. I will not execute the fierceness of mine anger. Thank the Lord, he does. <laughs> you know. I will not execute the fierceness of mine anger, and I will not re- return to destroy Ephraim. For I am God and not man. Boy, that's a good, I mean, that's a good weighty statement, isn't it? I am God and not man. Kind of lets us know where man's heart is toward man. (laughs) We'd be the first ones to want to just kind of get rid of people. Think about, hey, think about, (laughs) who was it? Uh, The Sons of Thunder, you know, uh, uh, James and John, how they... They were calling, wanting Jesus to call down fire from heaven to destroy a village that didn't accept Jesus, you know. <laughs> Lord, call down fire from heaven. Just get rid of those guys. And the Lord said, oh, I've got to talk to you boys here in a minute. I'm not, I am God and not man. The Holy One in the midst of thee. Now that phrase is wonderful. The Holy One in the midst of thee. We know that God withdraws his blessings when we're messed up. When Israel was messing up and and getting further away, but God didn't leave them. Even in the midst of their sin, God said, I'm in your midst. Not to destroy you. Wow. And I will not enter into the city. Now, he has given the authority to Assyria to bring judgment. He's allowing that to happen. But he's not the one in the city doing it. This is part of his discipline. So one of the great marks of God's faithfulness is his love fulfilling his promises to Israel. That means his love for them is the motivation for fulfilling every promise in scripture given to his people. What we find in these two verses, verses 8 and 9, is a, it's a magnificent portrayal and a representation of God's heart, showing how deeply the Lord loves Israel, not to mention the rest of mankind. I mean, you know, we, all we need to do is go back to John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. But in the series of questions asked in verse 8, the Lord declares that he cannot give up on Israel. And folks, that means that he cannot give up on us. And I didn't say will not, I said cannot. Cannot because he is bound by his covenant. He's bound by his faithfulness. He's bound by his word toward us. He cannot give up on Israel nor hand them over for complete annihilation. The Lord cannot and will not erase them from the face of the earth. Not like he did Adma and Zeboim. Now, Adma and Zeboim, if you remember, were two sister cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. They were two sister cities of of the wicked Sodom and Gomorrah, 
And remember that Sodom and Gomorrah had become symbols of total destruction and devastation due to their shameful depravity and their shameful wickedness. And it was much more than the sexual sins, if you remember our study in the book of Genesis, much more than the, the sexual sins. It was greed. It, it, it was uh, a heart that, that had no compassion for, for, the, for the poor, it had no compassion for people other than themselves. But to see this in, in, in a way for us to understand what God is saying when he says, I, I don't want to treat you like those two cities. Deuteronomy 29, verse 23, where it says, And that the whole land thereof is brimstone and salt and burning, that it is not sown, nor beareth, nor any grass groweth therein. In other words, this is the judgment coming upon that area because of their sin, like the overthrow of Sodom and Gomorrah, Admah and Zeboim which the Lord overthrew in his anger and in his wrath. So when you see that, you realize then why it is so important to understand why God said, how shall I make thee as Adma? How shall I do that? I can't. And to destroy them? To destroy Israel the same way he destroyed those cities? And then there's Jeremiah chapter 50, verses 39 and 40. Jeremiah 50, verses 39 and 40. Therefore the wild beasts of the desert with the wild beasts of the islands shall dwell there. And again, it's speaking about the judgment that's coming on the land because the land is going to be completely desolate. And notice it goes on, and the owl shall dwell therein, and it shall be no more inhabited forever. Neither shall it be dwelt in from generation to generation. And as God overthrew Sodom and Gomorrah and the neighbor cities, Adma and Zeboim, Thereof saith the Lord, so shall no man abide there, neither shall any son of man dwell therein. And so the Lord would not give up on his people, and he would not forsake them, and may I say, not forever. Not forever. There would be judgment, yes. There would be time when they would have to suffer greatly in this, in this, uh, in this judgment, in this uh, uh, Punishment, as it were, but not forever. Not Because Sodom, Gomorrah, Adma, and Zeboim, all forever. I mean, they're gone. See the difference? A long time before, the Lord had given Abraham this astounding promise that his descendants would be a blessing to all the nations. Now this blessing involved being a strong witness for the Lord, a testimony to the righteousness and salvation offered by the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And even though Israel had yet to be a true and strong witness for the Lord, he still loved the Israelites. He still loved them. And his love stimulated and awakened his compassion toward that sinful and wicked nation. The Lord was not only motivated by his deep and loving compassion, but also by his faithfulness to his covenant. He was motivated by the faithfulness to his covenant. That's why he says, for I am God, not man. The Lord had seen enough, even in that time, of men breaking their covenants one with another. 
But God says, I'm not like man. I don't do that. Take, for example, even from the mouth of the prophet Balaam. Now, this Balaam was not a great guy, you know. <clears throat> but from the very mouth of Balaam, the prophet, to the ears of that wicked king Balak, the king of the Moabites, this is what Balaam said. Numbers 23, verse 19. Exactly what God said. God is not a man that he should lie. Neither the son of man that he should repent. Now that, by the way, that's not speaking of Jesus or that's not speaking of, of, of or even Ezekiel. Okay, the, the turn to son of, son of man here in context has to do with man himself. Has he said and shall he not do it? And that's the point. Has he said and shall he not do it? If he has said it, isn't he going to do it? Isn't that God? If, if God says it, he's going to do it. And then it says, or has he spoken and shall he not make it good? So that's pretty clear about the nature and the character of God's faithfulness to his word and to his covenant. Now, the covenant that the Lord made with Abraham is an unconditional covenant because God actually kept both sides of that covenant. And it will not change. Now, because of that, the nation of Israel is preserved because of that covenant. It begins with Genesis 12, verses 1 through 3, and we're all familiar with this. Now the Lord <clears throat> had said unto Abram, Get thee out of thy country, and from thy kindred, and from thy father's house, unto a land that I will show thee, and I will make of thee a great nation, and I will bless thee, and make thy name great. And thou shalt be a blessing, and I will bless them, that bless thee and curse him that curseth thee. And, and Abraham here, Abram stands in place of all those who would proceed from him. So whoever is coming from Abraham is going to be blessed. I will bless them that bless thee and curse him that curseth thee and in, thy, and in thee shall all families of the earth be blessed in Abraham. Conversely speaking, on the other hand, God's covenant with Israel at Mount Sinai had conditions attached. And if the people failed to meet those conditions, the Lord was obligated to withdraw his blessings. Now, a good way to remember the distinctions uh, in the covenants would be this way. There's a simple way just to remember the covenants. Israel's possession of the land. Israel's possession of the land and its blessings is based on the Abrahamic covenant. That's the unconditional covenant. But their enjoyment of the land, the enjoyment of the land and whatever proceeds from the land, the provisions that are there given by God that he would want them to acknowledge and praise him for and thank him for, their enjoyment of the land and its blessings is based on the Mosaic covenant. So the possession of the land is based on Abraham and that covenant, 
the enjoyment of the land is based on the Mosaic Covenant. So the Lord was faithful. By the way, the Lord was faithful to both covenants. The Lord is faithful to both covenants. He preserved the nation, but he disciplined them for their sins. So when you read a passage like Deuteronomy 30, verses 15 through 20, that says, See, I have set before thee this day life and good, and death and evil. In that I command thee this day to love the Lord thy God, to walk in his ways and to keep his commandments and statutes and his statutes and his judgments that thou mayest live and multiply the enjoyment of the land, the enjoyment of the blessings that God gives. And the Lord thy God shall bless thee in the land whither thou goest to possess it. But here's the condition. But if thine heart turn away so that thou wilt not hear now this is a matter of the will, not of the ability. Whereas God cannot get rid of Israel. Man can, because they will not hear. Again, it's not a matter of the ability, the can, it's a matter of the will. Notice the difference. But if thine heart turn away so that thou will not hear. That's a choice. But shall be drawn away. And worship other gods. And serve them. See it's not just worshiping another god. It's serving another god. God alone wants us to worship him and to serve him. And the sad thing, too, is within the church is that many times, you know, we, we kind of choose when to worship God and when to, wor when to serve him and who to serve. When the bottom line is from the scriptures that he alone is worthy of our praise, he alone is worthy of our worship, and he alone is worthy of our service. Now, if we serve other people, it isn't for us. It is for him. So everything we do has to begin with us worshiping him. It has to do with us worshiping him. Kind of takes us back to, to Proverbs 3, verse 5. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart. Lean not on thine own understanding. Acknowledge him in all his ways and he shall direct thy path. Acknowledge him. Whatever you do, acknowledge him and he shall direct your path. He leads us to those places where we serve others, but in fact, we're serving him. That's our obedience every day to the Lord. So he says, but if thine heart turn away so that thou wilt not hear, but shall be drawn away and worship other gods and serve them. Notice what God says. He says, I denounce unto you this day that you shall surely perish and that you shall not prolong your days upon the land whether thou passest over Jordan to go to possess it. Now, he's, of course, he's saying punishment will come upon those themselves who have rejected his word, that have refused to hear his voice. But as a whole, God, has, God still honors the fact that there will be an Israel that will be in the land. Not, Israel, in other words, will not be destroyed as some nations have been destroyed for their rebellion against God. 
And then, he, and so he speaks in a, in a way of of of, uh, of of the way that he speaks oftentimes to certain nations. You know, when you read some of the prophecies to Egypt and uh, Moab and to uh, Edom, and, and, and when you read these prophecies, I mean, God says, uh, you know, He's going to destroy these nations. I call heaven and earth to, re to record this day against you that I have said before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore, he says, choose life. You choose life. I bless you. That both thou and thy seed may live and that thou mayest love the Lord thy God and that thou mayest obey his voice and that thou mayest cleave unto him for he is thy life and the length of thy days that thou mayest dwell in the land which the Lord swear unto thy fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob to give them. So he brings us back through both of those covenants. Yes, Israel will possess the land but God will judge the sins of disobedience and rebellion. You know, one of the great themes, or one great theme, I should say, of the scriptures that some people seem to overlook because of their blindness toward the present-day state of Israel, by the way, is that the Lord promises time and again to restore Israel to the promised land. That is something that today is... Uh, I may talk a little bit about it tomorrow, um, briefly, uh, but... This is where we are in, in, this, uh, in this day and time in which we're living in as we wait the coming of Jesus Christ. All of Bible prophecy, all of Bible prophecy has two key elements to it. The one, of course, is that Jesus has promised that he's coming again. So there's, there's no doubt that that's, that's the major element. But the other key element, and it's as major as, as can be, is the return of Israel into the land. And Israel today is in the land since 1948, officially. But unfortunately, we see a lot of people in a lot of different churches, a lot of different denominations that have taken to uh, opposing and, and actually condemning Israel which, which is uh, you, you, when you start making moves like that you, you're, you're bringing judgment upon something that God himself said would happen and that's, that's a dangerous precedent for the church and again I have to say and I've said this many times before but we who hold to the pre- millennial pre-tribulation uh, or pre-tribulational rapture of the church, we who hold to that as scriptural and as true are, 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 in, are very much in the minority today in the church. And there may be some churches that may at, at times just express it with their mouth, but it, it all depends on how much, you how much you hear in the church about the things that are happening in the world today and how they tie to the things that Jesus said in the Olivet Discourse in Matthew 24, Mark 13, and Luke 21. And what Paul says in, in First and Second Thessalonians and, and certainly in the book of Titus, there's some mention there, book of Romans as well. 
John and the book of Revelation, wholeheartedly the book of Revelation being a prophetic book. And, and, and when, when those books are not even touched, read, and if anything, you know, sometimes certain verses are pulled out of, uh, out of scripture. Oh yeah, we, we quote from the book of Revelation and they usually go to that, that verse in, in Revelation 3.20. I stand at the door and knock. Well, everybody uses that. And then they use it as an evangelistic kind of a tool, you know. Uh, I stand at the, behold, I stand at the door and knock. I stand at the door and knock. My tongue's not working for some reason. I, behold, I stand at the door and knock. He who, knock, he who answers opens the door uh, and comes, you know, whatever. It, you, know, you know what I'm saying. You know, they use that verse. <laughs> I'm getting all mixed up in my head. All right, so that, and they say, well, we use the book of Revelation. That's not the book of Revelation. That's one verse. What about the fact that in chapter one and even at the very end, it tells us that those who read the book of Revelation are going to be blessed by it. And then there's also a curse that comes if you take things out of it or put things into it. God's going to judge that. It's an important book for us to know. So with all that said, I'll get my head back in, in line with that verse. Okay. Isaiah 121, I'm sorry, 126. And I will restore thy judges as at the first, and thy counselors as at the beginning. Afterward thou shalt be called the city of righteousness, the faithful city. God says, I'll restore. And in the context of chapter 1, of course, it's, it's speaking of Jerusalem, the faithful city, the city of righteousness. Isaiah 11 verse 12 says, And he shall set up an ensign or a sign for the nations, and shall assemble the outcasts of Israel and gather together the dispersed of Judah from the four corners of the earth. That is happening today. Isaiah 27 verse 13, And it shall come to pass in that day that the great trumpet shall be blown, and, that, and they shall come which were ready to perish in the land of Assyria, notice, and the outcasts in the land of Egypt, and shall worship the Lord in the holy mount at Jerusalem. And this is pointing not just to the immediate or the near fulfillments, but actually the far fulfillment of Israel once again in the land. Zechariah 10, verse 6, And I will strengthen the house of Judah, and I will save the house of Joseph, and I will bring them again to place them, for I have mercy upon them. Now, <clears throat> of course, the house of Judah, the southern kingdom, uh, the house of Joseph, which was, of course, uh, Ephraim and Manasseh, and I will bring them to, again uh, to place them, for I have mercy upon them, and they shall be as though I had not cast them off. It'll be as if it never happened. For I am the Lord their God and will hear them. God's going to hear the cries of the people. And we know there's going to be a lot of factors for them to hear the cry or, or, or for God to hear the cries of his people. But just take this one example, and it's also from the book of Zechariah, but it is there that we are told that the people will see him whom they pierced. And they will begin to weep. And we know in that particular section of the scriptures 
that the Lord himself is going to descend and, and his feet are going to touch the Mount of Olives and he's going to land there. I mean, this is where he's going to take his ten thousands of his saints, the hosts of heaven and, and the saints, and go into Jerusalem. And everything is going to change. We talked about that in, in the book of Ezekiel. The topography was going to change. It is going to change completely. As soon as Jesus touches the Mount of Olives, everything changes. The valley below is going to open up. There's not going to be anything that's going to keep Jesus from taking his, his, kingdoms, his kingdom of priests in, into the city of Jerusalem. Nothing. Everything's going to change. And he's going to build the temple his way. And if he builds it immediately, it'll be a sight to see. And by the way, he can. The very love of God will restore his people Israel as his love will restore any person, any person who truly repents of their sin and turns back to him. And that brings us to verse 10 now of Hosea 11. It says, they shall walk after the Lord. He shall roar like a lion. When he shall roar, then the children shall tremble from the west. And indeed, the Lord did pour out his judgment upon his people. But again, realize this. He did pour out his judgment upon his people, but not to destroy them. Not to destroy them. He did so to restore them. As he roars, his children come running home to him. The depiction is of a lion roaring awful judgment on Israel's foes, calling his dispersed children from the lands of their dispersion, wherever they had been. I truly believe the lion's been roaring a while now even before 1948. And he's still roaring and children are still coming. And no matter what's happening in Israel today, when you read the news or, or hear the news and see the news and, and, and realize that uh, they're, they're constantly on the defensive, you know. But then they go on the offensive as well. And we were talking about this the other day, how Israel, and, and this is what the church does not want to accept. I say most of the church does not want to accept, if, especially if they don't believe that uh, the Israel in the land is the Israel of God. But they, 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 they need to go and see some of this. I, I've been in the hospital, in, in the, the Hadassah hospital in, 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 in Jerusalem, where there were as many Arabs being treated as Israelis. And they were Israeli Arabs, by the way. And they were being treated just as well as everybody else. But that, the news never reports that. I was just about to call them the stinking media. Well, their reporting is pretty stinky because they don't report what is truth. When, when they are preparing to bomb certain 
facilities in Gaza, Israel sends flyers into the land, into the area around where they're going to be. And they're, they're, in the Arabic language, they, they give these flyers that say, we are going to bomb here tomorrow. Please get away. They're warning the people to get away. They don't want to, you know, they don't want any collateral damage. They just want to, they're going to destroy the places where, they're in, where their enemies' bombs are or whatever, weapons. But they're telling the people, we're going to bomb here, get away. They do that every time. But I can tell you this, the terrorists that are in, the Hamas terrorists don't do that to Israel. They just bomb the people. So go figure. Why is the church do why why is some of the church embracing that? Hmm. Now the roar of the lion that it speaks of here will also strike fear in the Jewish people. And they will come trembling from their exile. And by the way, notice their exile in the West. What is that telling us? This is not pointing to something that is immediate for Israel in Assyria because when they go into captivity with Assyria, Assyria is in the northeast. When Judah goes into, into uh, captivity in Babylon, Babylon's in the east. What does that say? It's telling us that this is pointing to their return to Israel from the west, from whatever captivities they are, you know, I mean, just the very fact that they're dispersed into the world, not to say that they're captive, but to, but to say that they have experienced a separation from the place where God wants them to be. And the greatest attack upon the Jewish people in the modern time, of course, is the Holocaust, which was in the West. They were dispersed throughout the nations. But the devil had a plan to use one person in particular, of course, the nation which followed him blindly to kill more than six million Jews, almost seven million Jews. So this is more, uh, more of a fulfillment of, 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 of a prophecy yet to come as well as what is being fulfilled today. This is significant because the text is not speaking about the Jews being freed from their captivity in Babylon and, and Assyria, as I already mentioned, from the east or northeast. It appears this restoration of Israel is when the Lord Jesus returns to set up his kingdom on the earth. So it doesn't matter where. You see, where the Jewish people are exiled, whether in, in Egypt or Assyria, they will hear the roar or the call of God. Then they will return to their homeland. And it says in verse 11 of our text, they shall tremble as a bird out of Egypt and as a dove out of the land of Assyria. And I will place them in their houses, saith the Lord. And so God gives this picture of, uh, of birds that will be turned loose from their oppressive cages. 
The people of Israel will quickly fly to their own homeland, and the Lord will settle them in their own houses. All along, the Lord will be long-suffering toward his people, as he is with every sinner, as he is with all sinners. He's long-suffering. 2 Peter 3, verse 9 says, The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. You know, down through their history, the children of Israel had lied, deceived, and rebelled against the Lord. And although he was faithful and holy, the people still lied. And they still lived hypocritical lives before him. They even professed to follow the Lord and still hypocritically broke his holy commandments and worshipped other gods, the gods of this world. And then if they weren't doing that, after the, the, the great move of the Pharisees back 200 years before the birth of Jesus on this earth, and the Pharisaical movement started, and it started well because their desire was to bring the people back to the word of God, back to trusting God, back to following the word of God, living by the word of God. But then that itself got out of hand in the sense that it became more of an outward thing than it was an inward thing. And this is the reason why Jesus to the Pharisees themselves would say to, to them, woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, you wear your robes, you put your phylacteries on your heads and on your hands and you go out and you pray in the midst of people so that people will give you all the praise. But you guys are dead. And Jesus knew their heart. Phariseeism became something that was not worthy. It had become a, a, a practice of legalism and of elitism. And that's the way it was when Jesus came to his people. But nevertheless, the Lord had been patient and long-suffering with them. And in spite of their sins, he still loved them. And he gave Israel a wonderful promise. The promise that someday he would restore them to their homeland under the reign of a king like David. Well, <laughs> that king is even greater than David. That king will be the Lord Jesus Christ himself. And as that great preacher, Pastor Lockwood, said, he's my king. He's my king. Is he your king? He will rule over all the people when he returns to establish God's kingdom on earth. His promise is to restore any of us who have backslidden, who have turned away, 
from him when and if we repent. In Isaiah 43, verse 25, God says, I, even I, am he that blotteth out thy transgressions for mine own sake. Again, why his own sake? Because he is faithful to his covenant. He's faithful to his promises. I even I am he that blotteth out thy transgressions for mine own sake and will not remember thy sins. Oh, thank the Lord for that. The problem we have sometimes is we remember our sins too much. Now, to a, to a certain extent, that is a good thing because what it reminds us is where we don't want to go. We don't want to go backwards. We don't want to go back to those things. We don't want to go back to those things that put us in such weight of, uh, such weights of burden. And, and you know, it, it makes us realize, you know, the words of Paul in, in, in Hebrews, you know, chapter 12, when he talks about, you know, casting off every weight that so easily besets us. And looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross and despising the shame has sat down at the right hand of the throne of the Father. I, even I, am he that blotteth out thy transgressions for mine own sake and will not remember thy sins. Isaiah 44, verse 22, I have blotted out as a thick cloud thy transgressions. And as a cloud, thy sins return to me. Return unto me, for I have redeemed thee. Why, God? Maybe that's the question that we need to ask the Lord. Why, God, would you do that for me? Why would you do that for us? I think the answer would be just very simple. Because I love you. And I don't know why it is that we cannot handle the love of God sometimes. But it's real. And it's wonderful. And it's deep. And it's rich. I, re I remember an old movie, a Christian movie, which we showed many, many years ago. I think it was called The Duke of Earl. <laughs> I I think it was, we showed it. It was a, it was a movie about uh, the, uh, these Christians that were ministering to uh, some gangs in, in L.A., I think. Anyway, long story short, you know, the, uh, the one preacher was, was talking to the leader of a gang, and he kept telling him this, this statement. He says, you can't handle the love of the Lord. You can't handle his love. You can't handle Jesus' love for you. But you know, when you think about it, man, that's true, isn't it? Some people just can't handle the love of Jesus. 
Brought some of them to the Lord, though. Praise the Lord. Great stuff, you know, Victory Outreach and others, Teen Challenge that started with David Wilkerson and Nikki Cruz, all of those. Just, just great moves of, of God's work in areas that some of us would not go into, you know. But again, it comes back down to this. It's the love of God. Why, God? Why, why Lord, did you do this? For God so loved the world. Here's the answer. We've always had the answer. Jeremiah 3, 22, Return ye backslidden, I'm sorry, return ye backsliding children, and I will heal your backslidings. Behold, we come unto thee, for thou art the Lord our God. Micah 7, verses 18 and 19. Who is a God like unto thee that pardoneth iniquity and passes by the transgression of the remnant of his heritage? He retaineth not his anger forever because he delighteth in mercy. He will turn again. He will have compassion upon us. He will subdue our iniquities and thou will cast all their sins into the depths of the sea. Wow. What a great God we serve. Ephesians 1 verses 4 through 7. New Testament. Paul says, according as he has chosen us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, notice, having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Christ, by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, wherein he has made us accepted in the beloved, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace. We have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. Lastly, 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we confess our sins, how simple and yet how profound it is what he gives us as a way, a way of escape. Come unto me, Jesus said, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and you shall find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy, my burden is light. We gotta stop carrying our sins. We need to give them to Jesus. We see now that picture, that grand picture of the very same thing given to Israel by God. Come, return to me, confess your sin, and I will remember them no more, and I will cast them into the depths of the sea. Well, he's not gonna go swimming for them. 
there be gone forever. As far as east is from the west. I think east is from the west. I'm going to get it right here. As far as east is from the west. East and west never meet, folks. They never meet. That means the forgiveness of God is great. Let's appreciate it.